our study of Daniel, that um, we would be inspired, we would be encouraged, and we would be watching for the hour that you will come. And we're just thankful again for everything you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing our series in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Today we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago in chapter 7. Daniel just had this vision slash dream of the four beasts. And last week I showed a comparison chart of the vision dream that Daniel had in chapter 7 and the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2. So I just want to recap a little for you here. So if you remember, this is comparing the visions of the statue and the beast. Uh, the first column is all the plate or the, the kingdoms. The second column is the chapter two dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And the last column is the seven beasts from chapter seven. So if you remember, in Bab Babylon was the gold head. And then in chapter seven, where we've been studying, is the lion with eagle's wings. The Medes and the Persians was the chest and arms of silver. And if you remember in chapter 7, it was the lopsided bear because uh, the Persians were stronger than the Medes. In, uh, in chapter 2, we have Greece was the bronze belly and the thighs. In chapter 7, it was the leopard with the foreheads and wings. And then uh, Rome 1 was the legs of iron. And then in, the seven in chapter 7, in the beast vision, it was just called the dreadful, strong, and terrifying beast. So at that point, ending at Rome 1, those are all the already prophecies. Those are all the already prophecies. And what we're going to do in, in uh, this, the rest of this chapter is really going to focus in on the not yet stuff. And we're going to get to that. But Rome 2 was the feet of iron and the clay. Remember the feet with the ten toes. And uh, that coincides with chapter 7, the ten horns. The Antichrist is not seen on the statue in chapter 2, but it's seen, in, it's seen in, the, in the beast vision as the little horn, and that's what we're really going to focus in on today. Um, God's kingdom, the stone that became the mountain, remember the stone came, hit the bottom of the statue, broke the statue apart, and that's God's kingdom breaking every human kingdom down, and then his kingdom will last forever. And then in uh, chapter 7, it was the kingdom of the Son of Man. So let's continue in chapter 7 because we stopped in, in uh, verse 14 two weeks ago. And it says this, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this. So he told me and made known to me in the interpretation of things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. So Daniel, rightfully so, he's anxious, he's alarmed. So he actually asked one of the angels, he's in this vision, he asked one of the angels, what in the world is going on? What am I seeing here? So notice what happened. The angel then proceeds to give him the interpretation. Now this is important for us because studying end times, right? Studying end times can be very alarming. Okay, when you start to read end time stuff, it can be very alarming. It can sometimes be anxiety producing. But as we dig in and learn, we could actually take comfort and realize that God's intention is not to confuse us, but it's actually to inform us. Okay, so God's intention is not to confuse us, it's to actually inform us. So that's why we systematically study through end times things, so we're informed about what the future looks like. And that's why before this goes 
into any further details about everything that will happen, he tells us the end of the matter. This is what the angel says. He says, but the saints of the Most High God, the Most High, shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. So before he even tells them, okay, this is what's going to go down, let me just tell you the end of the story. The saints of God will possess the kingdom forever and ever. So he offers these words of comfort. The end of the story is we win, okay? Do you like that? Do you like that ending? I like that ending, knowing that at the end of the story, when I look at this whole world, when I look at all the things going on, when I look at the wars, when I look at all the way the culture is, when I look at all these things, it can be very discouraging, can it? It can be very discouraging. But I could sit back and relax and realize we win, okay? We win. I know what the last page says. I know the end of the story. We know the end of the story. So the angel kind of comforts Daniel with that. So now we enter into the not yet prophecies. This is something that Daniel was intrigued by, and so are we. Because these are things that will happen in the future, and a study in this passage and connecting other Old Testament and New Testament passages gives us kind of the big picture of what the end times look like. I just want to remind you again about our end times timeline overview. So basically, this is kind of where we are. We see the cross, and then that's where Christ was crucified, and then we see that little parentheses there. That's the church age. The next thing we're waiting for is the rapture of the church. When we talk about Jesus coming back, what he's going to do is he's going to appear in the air, and he's going to call his believers up to heaven. So if we are alive when this happens, we will be raptured up. This is where the scriptures say, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be taken up. The purpose of that rapture, this is important because not all Christians agree on where the placement of this rapture is. I am in favor of this view that I'm teaching you, and that is we are kept from the hour of tribulation. That means there's going to be seven years of tribulation like no other on this earth. We're going to talk about a little bit about that today. There's going to be seven years of tribulation. He is keeping the believers of this time, of the church age, from that hour of tribulation. That is the purpose of the rapture. Some put the rapture at the end of the tribulation, as if the Christians are going to go through the tribulation, and then the rapture just brings them up, or us up, to change us into our glorified bodies. I have a lot of problems with that view. I'm not going to get into that. But this is the, the view I'm teaching you, that we're raptured before the seven years of tribulation, because there's a very specific reason why this tribulation is happening. And part of that reason is to call back Israel, God's people, God's chosen people, the Jewish people, to mass regather them. And many of them will trust in Christ during that seven years of tribulation. So seven years of tribulation, then Jesus comes back with us, and we reign for a thousand years. This is where that rock hits the bottom of the statue. And this is where on, in um, chapter 7, it says the kingdom of the Son of Man and it will be given to the saints. That's where we reign with Christ on this earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of that thousand years, Satan is loose. Then he's cast down. And then God makes all things new. New heavens, new earth, Revelation chapter 21. So... Basically, our focus for the rest of this chapter is going to be the tribulation period and then entering into the thousand-year reign. So Daniel wants to know what he is seeing. So this is what happens. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, because the fourth beast is kind of split up, right? 
which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, and its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left of his feet. So this is the start of Rome 1, okay? And then Rome fell in like 400 and something. I can't remember the exact date. So Rome fell, and now there's this kind of gap. And this beast, what's happening here is Rome started off really good. I mean, it was like killing everybody, okay? It was doing its thing. It was ruling. But now Rome is really no more in a sense. There's no real kingdom that's dominating. But what's going to happen is this. And about the ten horns that were on its head. And the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. So now we have ten horns and then this little horn pops up and it says the horn had eyes and a mouth. And I know this is kind of freaky, right? I mean, you're like, Daniel must have been freaking out at this point. We're freaking out at this point. Like, what in the world is going on? As I look, the horn made war against the saints and prevailed over them. Then it goes on, it says, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So here again is our comparison chart. So this is where we are. This is what you just heard. Rome 2, Antichrist, God's kingdom. This is where we're focusing on, on the highlighted yellow to show you what we're dealing with. So then the angel explains the prophecy in general terms, but not in great detail. So now he's going to explain the prophecy in general terms, not in great detail. And this actually coincides with Revelation chapter 6 through Revelation chapter 20. So when you're reading through Revelation, you'll see a lot of things. But when you get to chapter 6, you're like, what in the world is going on here? I mean, it's just like mass chaos, havoc, all this stuff going on. This is where you find things like the mark of the beast. And you're like, what is going on? Well, this is the place where you're going to see that. That's the tribulation period. So Revelation 6 through 20 fills in all those gaps. If you want to do some reading on your own, just don't do it before bedtime. Okay. <laughs> Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom of the earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. So this is Rome too. And it, it's impacts because it's a superpower. It's going to be worldwide. Okay, so think about this for a second. When they look, you know, study of history and we see all those already things, there was no real kingdom that really had the impact that this description is of. So anyone who tries to say, oh, this already happened, this is a problem because this kingdom is a world superpower. And it's not just in one place. This is like entire world stuff. So then it says this. As for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. So now we have ten kings, world leaders, rise up in unity. Another one, the little horn, will rise up. This is the Antichrist. This is the Antichrist. He is the one that rises up. It says he'll put down three kings, which is probably a reference to some type of conflict that happens between him and three of these 
world leaders. He puts them down, and basically what's, what happens here is we, we have to think, well, what about the other seven? What about the other seven? Well, apparently they didn't give them any problem. They just kind of like went with the program. So there's evidently, evidently they all go along with the little horn or the Antichrist. It says, he shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, time, and a half a times. Now, exactly as we would expect, the Antichrist or Antichrist speaks out against the Most High. But notice it says the saints. Now, this is being spoken to Daniel in reference to the Jewish people, or in other words, Daniel's people. Now, remember, Daniel was a law-abiding Jew, right? There was no church at that time. There was no people following Jesus. There were no Christians when Daniel heard this. But during the tribulation, remember, the church is removed by the rapture. But here's an interesting point. And here's where some Christians differ. But there is actually a mass regathering of the Jewish people to the Holy Land, and it will be restored to the Jewish people, and it will be under the protection of the Antichrist. So when we get to Daniel chapter 9, we're going to get a little bit more into this. But in the beginning of the tribulation, or actually the, the beginning point of the tribulation, the, the, the event that happens is the Antichrist signs a peace treaty with the Jewish people that allow them to rebuild the temple in the Holy Land. Now, if you know anything about conflict over there, if you know anything about it, it has been a conflict for a very long time. Have you noticed that? Okay, so the Jewish people getting that land again is like, Huge. It's enormous. Politically, this is enormous. So what's going to happen is this Antichrist is going to rise up. And at first, he's going to seem good because he's going to help the Jewish people to come and build their temple again. But then what's going to happen is he's going to turn. Okay, he's going to turn. And this is where you see the persecution. Now, during the tribulation, what's going to happen is there's going to be this mass regathering of Jewish people. They're going to trust in Christ. There's going to be Gentiles people that are populating the, the tribulation, they're going to come to Christ. Not everybody, but a lot of people are going to come to Christ. And what's going to happen at that point is this is where the Antichrist now, he's going to change things, the times and the law, because what's going to happen is the Jewish people are going to reset up sacrifice. Now, the, then the Antichrist is going to come in and say, no, 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 you're not doing this anymore. Okay, I'm changing the times and laws. You're going to follow me. In fact, you're going to worship me. So then for a time, time and a half of times, that's three and a half years. So the last three and a half years of the tribulation, he's going to turn on the Jewish people. He's going to pretty much turn on everybody. And he's going to say, you worship me. I'm in charge. And this is how it's going to go down. If you don't, guess what? It's going to be bad. Okay, so this is where we see things like the mark of the beast and believers being beheaded. So in Revelation, when you get to Revelation, this is where you see all these things. I know this is a lot, right? Okay, I know this is a lot. So now at the end of the tribulation, Jesus is going to come back to this earth and set up his kingdom. So this is, this is a limited amount of time that this is going to happen. So it says this, but the court 
shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away. Talking about the Antichrist. His dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Now, the start of this everlasting kingdom is the thousand-year reign, like I showed you on that timeline. The thousand-year reign of Jesus with his people, us, and all who believe here on earth during the tribulation period and also believers of all time. That is the court that was referenced in the last verse. So let's see what Daniel says about all this. Let's look. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, Daniel's still rattled here. And maybe some of you are rattled, right? I mean, this is like hearing this, seeing this, trying to understand this. So he's still rattled. So there's really, when we learn this stuff, and, and, and I, I've been you know, very upfront with you. Some of this stuff is difficult, not only to teach, but as a pastor and as somebody coming here Sunday morning, desiring to encourage and inspire, I'm like, <gasps> you know what I mean? Like, I, every word of the mouth of God is useful, right? So what do we get out of this? Like, knowing this, because you and I both know this. There's nothing we can do to change the end time events. There's nothing we can do to change this. Being informed about it is great. Studying it is interesting. Some people are way too into it. Some people don't care enough about it. But what I want to do is this. We can't read and hear things that are written in God's word and just shrug them off. And just shrug them off. So I believe there's some responses that are needed. So I want to look at those responses. The first response is this. We need to trust Jesus. We need to trust Jesus. Let me just tell you this. If you're new here, if you don't trust Jesus, if, if, you know, if you're new to church and you're hearing this and you're like, yeah, this is that we're going to remember church, you're weird. <laughs> um, if you're thinking that when you hear this, I mean, and that you know, is reasonable, I would think that you know, some people might feel that way coming in. But the truth is, it's all about trusting in who Jesus is. Okay, our response is because when we look at these things, we're going to be kept from the hour. As believers, we're going to be kept from the hour if we trust in Jesus. Well, what do we have to trust about Jesus? Well, the truth is we have to trust that he paid the price for our sins. We're all sinners, and we're in need of a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, rose again three days later to prove that he is God, and the scriptures tell us this, all who believe will have eternal life. You know, when we read things like this, sometimes... You know, we think like, oh, man, this is going to scare people off or, uh, you know, I don't really want to talk about this. But let me just tell you this. When God's word is preached, guess what? When God's word is read, when God's word is heard, guess what? It does something to us, doesn't it? It makes us start to think and evaluate our life. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll realize, you know what? I am a sinner and I do need a savior. I don't know what the future holds but God does. 
So our first response should always be trust Jesus. So if you are not a believer yet, you need to really start thinking about who you're trusting, about who you're trusting, what you're trusting in, where you're putting your faith. But the second response is after you're a believer. So most of you are believers. The second response is this. Don't be deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist. Now, you might be thinking, well, I, I thought you said we're not part of the tribulation. I thought I'm going to avoid this guy, okay? And the truth is, you are not going to be part of the tribulation based upon what I believe about what the scriptures teach. So how are we going to be deceived by the Antichrist if we're not even here? Well, notice what it says before the Antichrist. It says the spirit of the Antichrist. And the reason why I bring this up is the scripture reading that Gavin read this morning. And it's in 1 John 4, 1 through 3. And this is written to believers in the church age. It says this, Beloved, do not, be, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of what? The Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. So remember I said a few weeks ago that many of the things we're witnessing in this world are just kind of setting the stage for the end times. Remember, there's nothing that necessarily has to happen, okay? This country doesn't have to invade that country. There's nothing that necessarily has to happen for Jesus to return. His return is imminent. He, no one knows the day or hour. He's going to come back. Okay? He's going to come back and rescue his saints. But the spirit of the Antichrist is working hard to deceive people right now, to even try to deceive Christians. So then we have to ask ourselves a question. How do I identify the spirit of the Antichrist? How do I identify the spirit of the Antichrist? The first is this. The spirit of the Antichrist rejects the truth of Jesus. John says it right there in the, in the passage. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus is from God is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's a deception. Now, you can study world religions. And you know what? Guess who shows up in almost every world religion? Does anybody know? His name's Jesus. Oh, he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He was nice. He was a prophet. They say all these nice things about Jesus, but they deny that he is actually God in the flesh, Savior of the world. They deny it. So they are not from God. They might have some good teachings. They might have some moral laws, but guess what? They reject who Jesus is. And I know this doesn't sound very inclusive, right? People are like, well, that's not nice of you to say. I'm sorry, okay? But Jesus says it, okay? You can't reject him. You can't reject him. So John says it right there in the passage. Do you know where you end up if the rapture happens and you did not confess Jesus as your Savior? You know where you end up if the rapture happens and you didn't confess Jesus as your Savior? Guess what? Tribulation, okay? Read Revelation 6 through 20. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. 
Do you know what powers every religion and philosophy that rejects that Jesus is God? The spirit of the Antichrist. He's working. He's working in the spiritual realms to actually deceive people. Do you know what the end result of rejection of Jesus is? It's eternal separation in hell. Satan and his demons and the Antichrist want nothing more than for you to be separated from your loving creator. That's what they want. The end game for them is for you not to be with the one who loves you. The next, the spirit of the Antichrist, rejects the scriptures. Rejects the scriptures. When people do not believe the Bible is the word of God to people, everything we hold as true can and will be challenged. Hey, when I come to preach to you, I come making the assumption that you believe the Bible is true. That's a big assumption, isn't it? That's a big assumption. And you know what? I'm glad I'm walking on this earth at this time because I know I'm surrounded by many people who do believe that the word of God is actually from God. But even like Gavin prayed this morning, the next generation. Do you know what the big problem with the next generation is? They weren't taught that. They weren't. And if we in this generation drop the ball on the next generation, that's a problem. And that's why you need to be praying for the next generation. You need to be praying for Pastor Steve and all the youth leaders that are building into those youth ministry kids. You need to be praying for the Sunday school teachers that are building into these young children. If you're a grandparent or a parent and your kid is not joining into those programs, you're making a huge mistake. Because guess what? They're not getting fed the truth of God's word. And realistically, realistically, we are one generation away from people taking the Bible, setting it aside, and never looking at it again. I don't believe that's exactly going to happen because I know the plans that God has. But the truth is, we can't reject the scriptures or allow other people to force that on us. That's the spirit of the Antichrist. This is why John says the spirit of the Antichrist is in the world right now, because guess what? He's trying to undermine the scriptures, all the mocking of God's word, those that try to defame God's word, those that say it's not true, those that disapprove. And in some places in this world, the scriptures are even banned. You know, you and I, we take the scriptures for granted, right? We have it on our iPhone. We have it on our Apple phone. Whatever, you know, device we have. We have copies all over the place and stuff like that. And then we're like, oh, did you do your quiet time this morning? You're like, what for? I don't feel like it. Really? Do you know there's people in jail in other countries that would love a copy of the holy scriptures? Do you know that? But we take it for granted, right? We live a charm life here in America, don't we? We take it for granted. So as believers, you know what? Don't take it for granted. Use the scriptures. They're the power of God. They're the power of God. They're words from him to us. This is all the spirit of the Antichrist, rejecting what the scriptures say. But it's not only rejection of Jesus and his word. It's actually this, accepting sin, accepting sin. 
As believers, we see this all around us every day in the world. More and more people are embracing sinful things. Sometimes it seems harmless. Sometimes it seems funny. Sometimes we call it entertainment. Sometimes if people's sinful ways are not accepted, they call the ones that don't accept those sinful ways unloving. You're unloving. You call what I do sin, you're unloving. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're offending a holy God. How unloving is that? When we think about our culture accepting sin, our mind normally goes to the big overt things, right? The lifestyle sins. But think about this for a minute. What type of little sins do you accept and allow into your life? What type of little sins do you accept and allow into your life? Just off the top of my head, I came up with a little list. Greed, gossip, deceit, materialism, vanity, foul language, impurity, lust, envy, pride. We can go on and on. These little things that we allow in our lives, right? It's no problem. No big deal. You know what? I just live with that. That's kind of who I am. That's the way I was raised. I was raised to be a sinner. Jesus should accept me for my sin, right? No, Jesus forgives you of your sin, but now as you're a believer, he doesn't want you to live in that sin because he knows it's not good for you. Whatever it is, if you're allowing yourself to continue and you're accepting of it in your life, you're willing to live with it and are not concerned that it offends God, guess what? It has no benefit for you and no benefit for the ones around you and no benefit for your relationship with God. You're just allowing yourself to accept these things in your life and you just become kind of desensitized to those things. And you know, this is hard. This is a hard one, right? Because we are surrounded by it. You cannot turn on the TV, go on your device, go on your computer without some type of sin being proposed to you, right? Being offered to you. Laugh at it. Joke about it. This is funny. This is entertainment. It's a very difficult time for believers to try to remain pure. Where does all this come from? I'll tell you. Spirit of the Antichrist. This is what John warned us. It's in the world. He's working. He's working. Then it goes from accepting, and this is where it gets dicey, to promoting sin. Have you never noticed that in our culture? If you don't accept the sin and embrace the people that are on a, they're on a mission to promote it. Okay? If you don't accept the sin, I can't have an opinion anymore, right? You can't, as a Christian, you can't have an opinion anymore. You can't call this sin. You can't not accept me. You can't live the way you want because you're saying that I can't live the way I want. Listen, listen to me. This is God making the standard, not us. You know, I mean, there's things in the Bible, if we're honest, we're like, I kind of wish it wasn't there. It makes things a little harder for me, you know? It does. I mean, have, does, do any of you feel that way? kind of makes things a little bit harder. And this is why a lot of times Christians don't feel like reading the Bible. Because they're like, then I learn stuff, and then I'm like, oh, you have to deal with this, you know? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. The culture is basically saying, if you don't accept the sin and embrace it, some of these people will try to promote their sin and try to force people to accept it. 
Isaiah 3 talks about this, Old Testament. 1 Corinthians 5 talks about this. People being proud of their sinful ways and trying to flaunt it to other people to say, you need to accept that this is not a sin. And I'm like, well, listen, God calls it sin. I'm sorry that you feel offended by it, but you got to take that up with your creator. I've taken it up with my creator. You need to do the same. We should never be proud of our sin. We have to remember this when it comes to the spirit of the Antichrist. Remember, Antichrist is anti-Christ, against Christ. And as believers, we have to remember we are for Christ. Why? Because he is for us. That's why. He is for us. You know, today we observe communion because Jesus is so for us he was willing to shed his blood on the cross. You know, we're coming up on Good Friday, and I'm already studying the message that I'm going to preach. But, you know, when you really think about the implications of what Jesus did on the cross, perfect, sinless Savior took the sin, took the separation, took it all for us. You know, the Antichrist... He's not doing that. He's doing everything for himself. He's empowering people to be selfish, to be greedy, to look at their own pleasures. Christ is looking to empower us to bring glory to him. He loves us that much. So when we celebrate communion, we're doing two things. We're remembering that Jesus died to pay the price for our sins. All who trust in him will have eternal life. We're remembering that. The second thing we're doing is really evaluating our own life. What little sin are you allowing to creep in? What little sin are you tolerating in your life that you're just going down that road and you're just like, whatever. It's been like this for 40 years. It's not changing. I'm just going to let this go. It's who I am. It's how I was raised. It's what I learned. It's what happened to me. It's what defined me. Whatever your excuses, let me just tell you this. Jesus is in the business of giving you victory. But that victory will not start until you allow him to come in and work in that way. It's not going to start until you just say, I can't, but you can. It's laying down your pride and saying, you know what? I'm not going to let this little sin or big sin, whatever it is, evaluate your life and just say, listen, I'm not going to live like this anymore. I'm going to let Jesus write the new story for my life. And I'm going to change from this point on, but not in my power, in the power through the Holy Spirit to allow us to change. So I'm going to give you just you know a minute or so, just in silence, to just confess those sins before the Lord, remember what he's done, and just be thankful for the sacrifice on the cross, and then we'll partake together.